Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books and Literary Studies. I am John Yargo, your host. Today's guest is Aaron Coonan, professor of English at Pomona College. We will discuss two books Aaron published in 2019. The first is Character as Form from Rutledge, a reexamination of the early modern understanding of character as stereotype, generalization, and convention. In Character as Form, Aaron braids together close readings of furniture in Christopher Marlowe's Tamerlane, a reflection on the concept of negative anthropology from Raul Ruiz's Three Lives and Only One Death, and insight into formalist and anti-formalist views of fictive personhood. The second book we will discuss is Love Three, a study of a poem by George Herbert from Wave Books a reading diary that takes a 17th century poem as a springboard for a meditation on love, sexual experience, and power. Herbert's poem is a fraught dialogue between a speaker and love, which is unfolded to touch on the politics of eating, the allure of rhetorical power, and the nature of crowds. Aaron's research focuses on English Renaissance literature. In addition to his scholarship, he is the author of five books, including Cold Genius, a book of poems, The Mandarin, and Folding Ruler Star Poems, all from Fence Books. Welcome to the podcast, Aaron. Thank you for having me. Let's start with character as form and how you open that book by reflecting on your changing identity as a writer. You tell us early on that you, quote, intend to talk to, end quote, the reader in the book like an unreliable narrator. Talk to us about the context that gave rise to the writing of character as form. Uh, uh, yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, uh, I mean, I guess the project started with uh, a reader's report. Um, and I, I've generally had very good experience with reader's reports. Um, since since publishing character as form, I, I've, I've talked with a number of people who I you know I get who, who tell me that um, uh, like they've they've gotten very disappointing readers reports that you know reports from readers who like clearly didn't read their work. But in in, in my case, you know I, I've gotten you know 
uh, positive readers reports, negative readers reports, but I, I always get the sense that, you know, people have like actually read my work and like they, they usually have interesting things to say about it. But I, I got this readers report for an essay that I was trying to publish. The essay was uh, about uh, Opera Ben's novels. Uh, I got this report from a reader who uh, just said that I didn't seem to know what a character was. Um, and like that, that uh, was very striking to me. Um, and you know, I, I, I read the rest of the report and I thought about it and I thought about you know, what I thought a character was. And I, I realized that you know, what happened to me was that I went to graduate school in the 1990s um, and uh, I, I studied Renaissance literature and I read these strange 17th century books of characters. They're, they're called books of characters or books of characteristic writing. Um, uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of reference books in character types. Um, like the, the, the books of characters divide people into types and they give you the characteristics of each type. Here is what we know about the miser. Here is what we know about the pedants. Here is what we know about milkmaids. Like here are their characteristics. Um, and I just thought that's what a character was. Um, I don't know. Like maybe, maybe I, I have kind of a weak will. I you know I I think I I tend to get converted by you know, whatever I'm reading, you know, what, what, whatever object I'm studying. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, I, I was reading a lot of Renaissance literature at the time, and I just thought that the Renaissance had the right idea about character. And so when I encountered characters in other places, you know, in, in 19th century novels or in, in performances in film and theater, I tended to refer them back to like the model of character that I got from reading the 17th century books of characters. Um, and, and so like that, that, that's what I was taking for granted in my essay on Afra Ben um, that, that made the reader think that I didn't know what a character was. So, I mean, the, 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 the reader's report was telling me that I had an idea. I mean, like something that I thought was obvious, something that I was taking for granted was something that I thought that was different from what other people thought. Or from my perspective, it was something that I knew that other people didn't know. Um, so I, I, um, I wanted to write about that. Originally, I just wanted to write an article about that. I thought, like, I, 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 I'll, I'll write an article you know, that, that just says what I think about character. And then in the future, if I ever want to write about a literary character, I can just refer back to that article. Um, like, like here's, here's what I think about character. Um, and uh, that article got very long. Um, I mean, I think I think the version of that article that I originally tried to publish was mm, it might have been twenty thousand words. It was in in the neighborhood of fifteen to twenty thousand words. Anyway, it was it, it was a link that editors didn't want to publish in their journals. Uh, and uh, since, since I couldn't publish the entire article, I decided to try to turn it into a book. Um, so that, yeah, that, that that's the 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 first uh, germ for the book um the the style of the book i mean what 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 you're what 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 you were talking about um uh, uh where I, I i say that i'm i'm talking to readers like an unreliable narrator um uh yeah i um i guess um another thing that happened to me at the beginning of the project um i i i'd written that long article and i was excited about it uh, and I, I was talking to friends about it and then my friends wanted to read the article, uh, and I would show it to them. And you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm friends with 
you know, I guess people in Renaissance studies, but also you know, people in other fields. And you know, I also know a lot of creative writers. Um, so I, I was showing my draft to people like that and they found it unreadable. I mean, like they, they, they really just couldn't get anything out of it. And like that, that felt like a problem. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I um, it's not that uh, I necessarily wanted my essay on the idea of character to be a bestseller. I mean, like I, I wasn't trying to take over the world with my style, but it, it really felt like a problem with my style that people who were motivated to read my essay could not make anything out of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I consciously set about trying to improve my style. I, mean, I, I, I wanted to write in a way that was clear and, and energetic. Um, I don't know, like a like an essay by John Berger um, or um, someone I talk about in the in the book, who I think is you know, really really a great model of style, uh, is is the, um, the English writer Denton Welch. Um, so anyway, I, I was trying to write more like that, um, and um, I guess the the um, the first success that I really had um, in in writing like that uh, was, was a talk that I was asked to give um, at a bar in in Culver City. Uh, my, my friends uh, Mark Owens, who's a graphic designer, uh, and and Alex Klein, who's a photographer, they were organizing a series of talks um, where you know di di different kinds of people. Um, you know, uh, some 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 scholars, some writers, some artists you know, were uh, were asked to talk about personal enthusiasms, um, and I I talked about the character of the misanthrope, you know, which was uh, one 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 of the subjects of of character as form, um, and somehow you know I guess um, like the uh, the situation of like having to address an audience of mostly visual artists. Um, inspired me to strike a vein of uh, of, of clarity uh, and and energy, you know, of, of like the, the the kind of style that I was looking for. And I, I later was given a transcript of that talk, and like it it, it was um, like you know it 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 sounded a lot better than a lot of the other scholarly writing that I had been doing. And so um, the, the the style of character as form uh, is is um, consciously imitative of like the the way that I was talking, uh, um, at, you know, at that at, at that you know, rather, rather informal lecture uh, um, at a uh, at the Mandrake Bar in in Culver City. Insight of finding an audience for whom you have to maybe denaturalize maybe some of your rhetorical training or something like that. Um, but both, I think, great um, great tactics, great techniques. Um, I, I learned a lot from characterized forms, exploration of the formalist and anti-formalist accounts of character. I thought that was very generative. Perhaps this is a good place to start um, by, by sketching out these two different approaches to character. Certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, um, so what, what, uh, what most people think about character is the view that in the book I, I'm calling anti-formalist. Um, and in in, in 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 a sense of anti-formalist that I'm really taking from the literary scholar Francis Ferguson. Um, and and basically, as I understand it, like this view of character is that the job of a character is to individuate. Like a character does something like what a human being does. Um, like a, a, um, 
a character introduces like a, a new and unique set of possibilities into the world. And so like, the, like this, this, this is the aspect of, of the human condition that Hannah Arendt calls natality. Um, another way that, that I, I think about the anti-formalist view is to, um, to go back to Aristotle, um, a very, very interesting passage in the poetics um, where uh, Aristotle is talking about what later, um, the, the later um, neo-Aristotelian critics codify as the unities, um, the, the unities of, of, of time and of Aristotle 48 hours for, for the, the neoclassical Aristotelians, uh, 24 hours, you know, and then and then like they 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 truncated even more to you know, just the, the time equal to the length of the representation, um, I, 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 the unities of, of time, space, and action. But Aristotle says there is no unity of person. Um, you know, and, and 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 this just has to do with you know what Aristotle thinks about persons. Uh, too too many different things happen to a person in a lifetime. Like a, a person thinks too many different things. A person becomes too many different things in the course of a lifetime for a person to give unity to a work of art. Um, but, th but then like th uh, um, this somehow is the job of, of character in the anti-formalist view of character. I mean, you know, for for uh, um, like a, a work of art to represent a person like, you know, in that person's like irreducible uniqueness, like in that person's natality. Arendt also uses the term who-ness as opposed to whatness. You know, like what, 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 what makes that person like different from all other persons, from all other human possibilities. Um, I, it, it might, I, I mean, I, um, since this isn't my view, it's not that easy for me to give an example, but um, if I were to refer to an example, uh, I think of um, a, a character I refer to a couple of times in the book. I, I, I decided not to write more about this character. Um, Pechorin, the, the 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 hero, or the um, the somewhat ironically identified hero of Lermontov's uh, early nineteenth-century novel, a hero of our time. Um, and uh, Pechorin is a, you know, uh, just a, a, a wonderful, fascinating, and, and, and very mysterious character. And, and, and perhaps you know, as a representative of the anti-formalist view of character, you know, like what, what, what's most significant about Pechorin is the mystery, like the, the, the unknowability of Pechorin. And so like in, in the course of a hero of our time, um, like Pechorin is encountered in different situations, different, different moments of his life, like you see him represented in different documents by different narrators, and like you, you see him being talked about by different characters. And basically, like in the course of the novel, like in each chapter, like you seem to get closer to him, like until in the penultimate chapter, like you're you're just reading Pechorin's journal. Um, and like the more you know about him and the closer you get to him, like the more difficult it is to say anything about him. Like the like the the the, the more unknowable he is. Like so, even when you're inside Pechorin's head, like even when like you're listening to, like the voice inside Pechorin's head, like he's 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 he's. It's not only that he's still unknowable. Like he's even less knowable than he was before. Like he's he's less knowable to himself. Like than he would have been, you know, like to a casual observer from outside. And the casual observer looking from outside, like also like has no idea what's going on with Pechorin. Um, Whereas, you know, for, uh, from, from, from my point of view, if I had written about Pechorin, you know, and I, I was thinking about this, like I, I, I wanted to assimilate him to the character of the misanthrope. Uh, and so, yeah, the, and, and my, my, 
my view of character, the formalist view of character, you know, which which I, I take from the 17th century books of characters, you know, from from writers like Overbury and La Bruyere. Um, a, uh, a character is a device that collects every example of a kind. Um, so, um, I think a really easy example um, in in Every Man, you know, um, character enters like someone someone comes on stage and says, "I am good deeds," um, you know, and you know, and then explains that you know, so that 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 means you know, I, I am your good deeds. Like so, everyone in the audience, like you know, like, I, I, I am all of your good deeds and. Like every good deed, like ever committed by anybody, like you know, like I, I am just a collection of all of these good deeds, and you know, then like the character explains part of the meaning of that, um, and also, like that, that 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 means that you know I can do a lot for you, you know, like I'm I you know I I have all kinds of loyalty to you, and I I, I want to help you, but I can only help you in this life, like I like I I will give you as much support as I can while you're alive, but I won't go into the grave with you, and like there's nothing I can do for you after you die. Um, so yeah, like that, like that, uh, um, it's pretty clear in every man, and and every man also is like pretty clear in every man. Um, and I guess what's different about my approach to character, about what what I'm calling the formalist approach to character, is that like I want to use that way of thinking about character, not just to talk about somebody like good deeds or like every man, but also to talk about somebody like Pechorin from Lermontov. Um, I think the, the the first example I give in the book um, is Fred Astaire uh, in, in in Blue Skies, and I, I I like examples like this because like I always want to see it, like I like I I I I, I, I want to see what it would look like, like a, a stage picture or you know like a, a like like something in the frame of a movie, uh, um, like 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 what what is the the space what is it, what does the space look like in which Every example of a kind is collected, and so to me, a character looks like like this this, this dance routine from Blue Skies, where the center of the frame, Fred Astaire is dancing like he's spinning, and he's flanked on either side by like six other dancers, three you know th three dancers on one side, three dancers on the other side, and like they they look kind of like Astaire, they're dressed exactly like Astaire, and they're performing. The exact movements that Fred Astaire is performing as he performs them. Um, so that 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 I'm saying is what character looks like. Um, like it, uh, um, like it, 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 it's um, different examples of the same kind. Or in you know, in in, uh, um, in, a, in a musical routine like that, um, different performers acting as the same character, like in the same performance. I also thought a bit about, I, I, I considered at one point writing about um, uh, single ladies, the, the, um, the, the Beyonce uh, yeah. song and, you know, and, and, and the, the um, fascinating dance, uh, you know, I mean, which, which everybody loves. Um, uh, but I, I, I decided that it was like, there, like there were, there, there were other things going on in it that, 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 that really exceeded the concerns of my argument. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it is, Sort of related to what I'm talking about, you know, just just even the um, like the the title "Single Ladies" is interesting. You know, they're 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 single and like they're also plural. Yeah, that's a great example. And I remember when that that music video came out, it it I knew many people who felt their own concerns mirrored in the the lines of that song in, in an interesting way. And 
Um, the misanthrope is a central figure in your understanding of character, but you point out that this isn't because of a personal enthusiasm for misanthropy. Instead, the misanthrope has something to teach us about knowing the world through types or through a kind of de-individuation. What is the misanthrope type and what can this dimension of character as form, what dimension of character as form gets revealed through the figure of the misanthrope? Yeah, I mean, so the, I mean there, there, are, there, there are some aspects of the character of the misanthrope that I'm not that interested in. Um, you know, I, and, and you, know, you know, I think what, what, what people, um, usually people's first thought of misanthropy, you know, has to do with you know, hatred of humanity, um, uh, um, you know, speeches of, of, of invective, you know, in, invigorating speeches of invective rit and, and, and ritualized insult. Um, I, you know, in, in, you know, these, these, these are very interesting things, but not 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 really topics uh, that that I'm interested in. Um, I'm I'm interested in uh, the the misanthrope's gesture of withdrawal from the world. Um, and and you know, I guess as I understand it, what happens when the misanthrope withdraws from the world? You know, basically, two two things happen. Um, like, like first, all of society is constituted through the exclusion of the misanthrope. And then, like this other society is also constituted, uh, you know, which which is like the society of misanthropes. Like you know, every example of the character of the misanthrope. Um, and you know, I think I mean I I I, I talk about a number of, of of different examples of this gesture in the book, um, but there there are um, two two that you know I think I, I'm I'm especially interested in. One is Moliere's interpretation of the misanthrope. Um, so the the um, the end of Moliere's play, the the, the misanthrope Alceste offers to withdraw from the world, and as he does so, like he 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 strangely invites Selimène, his lover, the coquette, to join him in withdrawing from the world. Um, no, but, you know, which which uh, uh, of course she doesn't do. She's she she's the coquette. Uh, and 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 you know, I guess what what interests me about that, you know, about this like the the, the um, the possibility that Alcest suggests um, is that um, Zelimen could withdraw from the world and then not be a coquette, but be another Alcest, another misanthrope, another example of the type of the misanthrope. So like, like, like she, she could be a member of this other society, which isn't a society in, in an ordinary sense. You know, the, the society ordinarily means network of relations and the society of misanthrope. The society of misanthropes would be association without relation, um, like you know, a, 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 some some kind of living together outside of the world in a different world, associated but not related. Um, the other example that I I, I talk about um, is a Shakespearean interpretation of, of misanthropy, and I, I guess I, I talk about a couple Shakespearean interpretations of misanthropy. When I look at the book now, I sort of I I I, I think I. Um, it was probably a mistake for me to get involved with Timon of Athens, um, you know, which, which, which I think is just a, it, it's it's a stronger example of like as, the the aspects of misanthropy that I'm not that interested in, you know, the the hatred of humanity and invective, and you know, I think I I I, uh, I, I tried to use all of my ingenuity to make it look more like the gesture of withdrawal from the world, which is my real interest, but you know, I you know, I think I've um, 
I think there, there there are more sympathetic accounts of Timon of Athens, but you know, I, you know, I think uh, Drew Daniel has some really interesting work on, on Timon of Athens, Julia Lupton, uh, uh, James Kuzner, uh, G. G. Wilson Knight uh, uh, has a very um, uh, very interesting sense of Timon of Athens. But yeah, for uh, for me, um, uh, I'm, I'm I'm looking at you know I think a, um, a I, I I think. Uh, an interpretation of, of misanthropy in Shakespeare that people haven't really noticed before, uh, which is the trope of world banishment. Um, you know, which is it's a, a wonderful idea that Shakespeare had, I, I, I guess, originally in Richard II, um, where it, it's just introduced as a kind of a consolation for Henry Bolingbroke when when uh, when 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 he's banished from England. You know, banishment is a reflexive action, and like therefore it's reciprocal. You know, so, so, so Bolingbroke can console himself in his banishment by thinking that, you know, like since he's the one who carries out the sentence of banishment, actually he is banishing the king. Like he is banishing the state of England. Um, uh, and and this is such a good idea that that Shakespeare returned to it a number of times in his career. I'm sorry, like you know, it, it, it's uh, um, sort of inflated extraordinarily in. Henry the Fourth, Part One, you know, in in you know, the, the 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 remarkable exchange, uh, you know, where where um, Falstaff suggests like it's something that Howe would definitely not want to do, you know, banish Jack Falstaff and banish all the world, in the words of you know, uh, um, to banish the um, the very appealing world, uh, um, you know, which which Daniel Tiffany identifies as the the, the, the demi monde, the the criminal underworld represented by Falstaff. Um, uh, you know, to 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 banish like the entire world gathered in Falstaff, and 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 how remarkably um, actually agrees you know, like, like that 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 is something that he wants to do, um, like, like to to um, to banish Jack Falstaff and to banish the world that he represents, um, and you know, uh, 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 um, Shakespeare returns to it again, remarkably in Coriolanus. Um, there is a world elsewhere. I banish you. And so, uh, um, Coriolanus is not merely consoling himself in his banishment, you know, but but actually performing his banishment of the world you know, and 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 his 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 turn to or his constitution of another world. Um, but uh, in my view, Shakespeare's fullest exploration of the trope of world banishment is in the plot of As You Like It. And I I I, I guess my reading of As You Like It is is, is um, Unusual, partly in my suggesting that the play does have a plot. You know, I, I mean, that's uh, if you look at the critical tradition on as you like it, like that—that's a question. Or, I mean, for, for many people, it's not a question. Many many readers of the play just say that it, it does not have a plot. Um, but I, I'm I'm saying that it it does have a plot. I mean, like it's not in the foreground of the play, but um, basically in the course of the play, the new Duke, um, Duke, Duke Frederick, is slowly, progressively banishing everyone from the court. Um, and he, he and 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 he he finally arrives at a point where he has banished everyone, and like then he banishes himself. Like like he he uh, like he he transitions from court to forest himself, and he is converted. Converted like in the in in in, in, in the, the the phrase used to tell the story in the play. Yes, there's there's a messenger in the play who tells the story. He's converted from the world, um, and so like like that that, that again. I I always want to see. What it would look like, you know, like this. This um, this is a a stage picture of world banishment. 
um, like Frederick, like you know, first banishing all of the other characters from the court, like the characters go from the court into the forest, and then Frederick actually banishing himself, and so totally emptying out the court. Um, there's also there's, there's a um, I guess a joke that I like in As You Like It, where uh, uh, throughout the play, the forest is referred to as a desert, um, and we, you know, which I, I take to mean like it's a it's a place it, it's deserted. It, you know, it's a place of isolation. At one point, it's even called a desert city, um, which 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 if you think about it is, um, uh, I mean, it's a it's it's a contradiction. Um, but 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 like like that 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 that's the um, uh, like the I mean the the um, the joke is that it's a desert, but it's the center of population. Um, like like it it's 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 where everyone is gone. Uh, and 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 you know, you know I um, I guess I, I I could also claim that uh, like it uh, um, it's it's something like the uh, like the, the the society of association without relation that I, uh, that I see in the space of character and that I see in the uh, in in the gesture of the misanthropes withdrawal from the world um, like I was a, all of these people in the forest. Uh, um, uh somehow forming a society but not a network of relations like they like they they are isolated and like they are all and 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 and, and they are all also somehow together Aaron can you read a passage from character as form Plotinus once asked nature why she made things nature said nothing in reply but Plotinus understood what she meant to say first she would have said that she was not used to talking for I am a silent one, and to talk is not my custom. Nature, quoted by Plotinus, uh, translated by the great classical scholar E.R. Dodds. If he had remembered the correct way to address her, Plotinus would have used silent meditation rather than speech. For him, the habit of speech was second nature, but nature's shyness, like her other habits, was simply nature. She would have said that her silence was better than his speech. It were more seemly not to question, but like me to understand in silence. She did not need to express herself in speech. Instead, she communicated through the things of this world, which she made by meditating. That which meditates in me creates its own object, as the geometers, when they meditate, draw lines. Nature does not talk, but she meditates. And the peculiar feature of her meditation is that when she thinks about a thing, the outline of its body comes into being. This imaginary conversation, to be clear, Plotinus imagined it, I did not, suggests a difference between Plotinus and nature more basic than that between custom and nature. The difference between them can be described as a gift and a deficiency on both sides. What was Plotinus's gift? Plotinus had imagination. This image-producing faculty allowed him to think about nature, to imagine her speaking, without creating every object in the world all over again. Nature could not do that. She could not think about Plotinus without creating him again. Nature's gift, on the other hand, was that she could make any object just by thinking. Plotinus could not do that. His thoughts did not automatically come into the world as objects. His imagination dealt in the world of objects by dematerializing them, then replacing them with images, 
so they could be reproduced in other objects, such as his book, the Enneads. The whole exchange between Plotinus and nature is based on a distinction between images and objects. Nature's thoughts are objects. They don't just correspond to objects in the world. They are the same objects. She doesn't need to talk because communication isn't much of a problem for her. None of her thoughts is private. She doesn't have any motives hidden deeper than the world that you see. Plotinus's thoughts are images. They have no physical extension in space. In order to communicate them, he needs some kind of objective support, a book, a painting, a monument. He can think them without participating in nature's world of objects. In fact, they are basically destructive to the objects they represent. Marvell said they annihilate all that's made to a green thought in a green shade. What jumps out to me about the style here is how lapidary it is. Um, it reads so well out loud as well. Um, you know, I, I think it's uh, sometimes when academic prose is, is read out loud, it, it, you sort of lose the thread. Um, here, it, it, there's such a wonderful um, pacing um, and sort of construction of, of argument. Um, what stylistic choices do you see in, in these passages? What do I want to say about this book? It's, I mean, I, I, um, I don't consider it to be a success. I mean, either uh, uh, in, in terms of its argument or in terms of its style. I mean, you know, I, 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 um, I, I like what I was trying to do in this book. I mean, I, I, I like both the argument and I like what I was trying to do with the style, but I don't think I really got there with this book. Um, I don't want to call it a failure, but I, I think of it as kind of esoteric, I guess, um, like in the, in the sense that, and I, I've had this experience, you know, I, I've only published two books of criticism, but I, I've published some other books. And um, it's a funny thing that, um, uh, like, I, 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 it, it's happened to me, I guess, three times now that uh, I, I don't see it before the book comes out. But after the book comes out, I see that I published it but it wasn't really intended for other people. Like it was really just intended for me. Um, and then so, so like that, 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 that's kind of how I feel about this book. I mean, like I, I'm, I, I, I'm proud of this book. I, I, I like this book. I learned a lot from writing this book. And I, I, I guess I, I, I hope that other people take something that they can use from this book. But um, yeah, I, I, um, after its publication, you know, when when I, I I look at it, I see that like you know like this is this is me sitting in my own pool of psychosis, uh, and and like it's it, it, it's a book that is fundamentally for me and and not for for other people. But but there I I, I um there are things I, I I really like about the passage that I just read. Um, I um I like that um that, you know I guess I guess maybe I would start by pointing out the um uh, the way that I handle the quotation you know nature quoted by Plotinus in Dodds um like I I um I mean in a way that's a joke but I guess I want to say that what I like about that is that the form of the joke is that I'm taking Plotinus very seriously Plotinus is reporting this conversation with nature like he's attributing this speech to nature, and I am treating it as nature's speech, um, or like I, I'm, I'm taking like a myth you know, that 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 Plotinus invents, and I'm I'm treating it basically as history, um, and 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 that's the beginning of the conversation that I'm having with this passage, um, and you know uh, the um, the way that I end up thinking with this passage 
I think it, 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 I, I'm, I'm starting by taking Plotinus seriously, but I'm not ending in a place that I think is Platonism. Um, that is, I'm, I'm, I'm ultimately, um, uh, you know, by, by trying to stay close to Plotinus's terms, I'm trying to learn something about uh, you know, uh, um, about nature, you know, uh, Plotinus's key term, and about imagination, which is not a key term for Plotinus. And if it were a term for Plotinus, it would you know it would be a negative one. Um, um, so I, I'm I'm trying to use Plotinus's language, but I guess not Plotinus's system of values here. Um, and in that way, I end up with this distinction between images and objects, which I say looks like a gift and a deficiency on both sides. I mean, so, you know, for, for Plotinus, it's not a gift and a deficiency on both sides. I mean, for, for Plotinus, like there is this whole system of values where reality is diminished at every level. I mean, like, so like, like there's, there, there, there is a deeper and better reality behind the object world of nature. Uh, and then, like the, the the world of nature is a deeper and better reality than that of like the the the, the images you know, in which Plotinus is dealing in his imagination. Um, um, but yeah, no, I'm 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 describing it ultimately as as um, as as you know, both gift and deficiency. I mean, so Plotinus can think about nature without making nature again, and nature, interestingly, can think about Plotinus, and when she does, like she's making Plotinus. Um, and like no, like that. That's that's also you know, like that, that. That it's uh, it, it it's kind of amazing that nature can do that. Um, yeah, just to give listeners um, some context, I I um, had written you beforehand and asked you for passages that you might want to read, and you chose this one. And I'm I was a little bit surprised because often when I ask scholarly writers. Um, which passages they want to read. They very rarely, or I, I should say, never has an academic writer ever suggested a passage of paraphrase or a passage with a lot of quotation, almost like they're ashamed hmm. that they would have, you know, someone else's language or ideas in, in their, their passage. They pick strategically paragraphs of their prose, you know? So I find it interesting that, that this is the passage that you chose and, and what paraphrase as a technique or a strategy or an ethics um, might have to say, or might, what you might have to say about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, um, I think a lot about paraphrase. Um, I mean, I, 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 I think I don't go nearly as far with paraphrase, even in, in this passage from characterized form, as I do in uh, Love, Love 3, um, which um, and I, I, I guess I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll say this now, although I, I know we're going to focus on, on Love 3 later. But um, one, one title that I was contemplating for Love 3 was a paraphrase of Herbert's Love 3. And, and really, I mean, the, uh, um, every time I gave a lecture based on material from that book, I mean, that, that was always the title that I used, a, a paraphrase of, of Herbert's Love 3. And the, the only reason I didn't use that title was that um, the, the, uh, the, the publisher thought and and you know I'm, I'm sure correctly that um it was a less inviting title um than like simply calling it love three um and, and yeah a, 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 a paraphrase of of herbert's love three yeah i mean that that probably sounds like a book that very few people would want to read but yeah i mean the um uh um i i i guess i i am very interested in paraphrase as a technique 
um, trying to incorporate the words of the text that I'm studying into my own language or translating the words of the text that I'm studying into my own language. And especially in, uh, in, in, in the book Love Three, I got very interested uh, in not exactly, not quite reproducing the speaker positions of the poem in my own language. Um, there's the, I mean, just because the, like the, um, there's an aspect of the speaker positions in the poem that I did not reproduce, um, you know, but, but, but um, speaking as the speaker, um, put, put, putting myself in the position of the speaker or putting myself in the position, in the position of the speaker in the exchange with love, you know, which is most of Herbert's poem. And further, you know, you know, I guess I mean this 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 is the, the the really dangerous thing that I did in Love Three, um, uh, making it unclear, um, uh, or at least making it at first unclear um, when I'm speaking, whether I'm speaking in my own voice or in the voice of the speaker in the poem. Um, um, and yeah, I mean, I guess I I um, I do all of those things. Um, I mean, you know, like an, an exercise in paraphrase, like like this one uh, from from characterized form, uh, and and um, you know, the the uh, more questionable exercises in, in paraphrase that I do quite a lot in Love Three. I mean, I I, I do those things because, um, first of all, because I, th I I think I can learn something about the texts that I'm studying that way, you know, but by um, effectively trying to put myself inside the text. Um, and also uh, because uh, you know, I, I, um, I, I, I enjoy the outrageousness of that, or I enjoy the, um, the surprise uh, um, that I can get uh, from, from the uncertainty, you know, whether I'm speaking in my own voice um, or in the voice of like, the, the, the speaker in the poem. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, 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 for me, surprise is uh, um, it's, it's an important value. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50 percent off okay i, I want to come back to love three in one second and and this question of inhabiting the speaker of the poem I, i'm looking forward to that but just to um re return to character as form for one second um your that book character as form explores a quote the twofold truth of character as performance in that part of the book, you look at different performances of the character of Othello and how each of the actors playing Othello could go on and legitimately take up other characters. 
what does acting reveal about the riddle or the paradox of character? Yeah, uh, um, again, um, in that book, um, like I, I, I'm always trying to see a picture of what I'm writing about. Um, like the um, like this idea that a character collects every example of a kind. Like, like what what would that look like? Like what 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 would the space be in which every example of a kind is collected? Um, and and yeah, it, it seems to me that the the best place to see that, the place where I feel I can really show that to people, is in performance. And yeah, I mean, for, first of all, it is. Um, you know, it's 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 just a fact about the history of performance you know, that um, you know, different actors play the same character, um, and 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 it's also usually true. I don't know for 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 most actors, you know, for the careers of most actors that. Um, like actors play different characters, you know, in 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 different performances and different productions, you know, at at, at at different times in their careers. Um, and yeah, I um the 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 examples that I look at in the book, I I especially like um examples where like it, it, it it's not something that's happening like in somebody's career, or it's not something that's happening like you know on across generations. Like or 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 in different performances, but I I I like when you can actually see it happening in one performance. Um, so you know, like it 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 it's it's quite common uh, in, in in theater. Um, it's less common in film, but also happens in film. Um, you know, that, that um, one actor plays multiple parts. Um, uh, um I think uh. I think in the book I I, I mention uh, Kind Hearts and Coronets, you know, where um, Alec Guinness plays not every member of the I think it's the Dascoigne family, um, but he 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 plays every member of the family murdered by the main character, um, who I mean who who who, who is maneuvering. Uh, you know, he, he he wants to put himself in a position where he inherits the you know, the the wealth and the land and the title. Of of, uh, of the Dask coins. That I mean, the the um, also interested in the um, the less common uh, and and extra and, and extravagant extravagant rule of performance, where um, you have multiple actors playing the same character. Um, uh, there's a, uh, there's a the, the um, uh, uh, maybe the really classic example of that is is um, Bunuel's movie that that obscure object of desire. Uh, you know, where where um, two two different women, uh, um, uh, uh, very different actors, of uh, a, a, a very different appearance, um, uh, Angela Molina and and Carol Bouquet uh, both both play uh, the uh, the same character, one of the main characters in the film. Um, two very interesting directors from the same generation, both named Todd. You know, both both Todd Haynes and and Todd Solons. I think really got interested. Uh, at, at one point in their careers, uh, in in uh, um, exploiting that extravagant rule of performance, like where where you have multiple actors ca casting multiple actors as the same character. Um, Todd, Todd Haynes did it uh, in his strange film about Bob Dylan. I'm not there. Um, Todd Solons has done it in several movies now. He first did it in in Palindromes, um, and you know, he just got interested in um, like the the, the uh, I get the same experiment that Bunuel. Was performing in that obscure object of, of desire. Um, uh, you know, like he 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 tried casting, I think six, six different people, um, you know, very different kinds of people, 
you know, both, both men and women, you know, with really different bodies, like really different ages, like, you know, different races. Um, uh, and like he, he, he would just use different people um, as the main character of the film in different scenes. Uh, and he was delighted and, and surprised, I think, to find that it was completely intelligible. I mean, that, that, that no one actually had trouble following the film. And then he followed that up with um, a film called uh, Life During Wartime, um, where um, he just returns to the cast of characters uh, from, I think, his second film, Happiness. Um, and he just uh, casts different actors in all of the parts. Um, and, and, and again, like he, he was interested to find that like it's, it's completely intelligible. Right? And so the, you know, the, um, the first scene in the film, Happiness, um, like there's uh, um, uh, a you know, um, sort of uh, remarkable uh, um, uh, performance by a minor character played by John Lovitz um, in Life During Wartime. Uh, um, uh, Solons brings that character who dies in happiness back uh, and has the character played by a very different actor, Michael Williams. Um, and, 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 and again, like it's, it's, it's completely intelligible that, you know, like it's, it's just a different example of the same character. Um, but the, the, uh, um, the, the, the example that I talk about most in the book is a scene from Monkey Business, uh, the, the, the Maurice Chevalier scene in Monkey Business, you know, where for contrived and absurd reasons, all four of the Marx brothers have to perform as Maurice Chevalier, have to perform like a, a passage from a song by Maurice Chevalier in order to get through customs at the end of a transatlantic crossing. Uh, and what, 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 what I really love about that scene is that you can actually see both things happening simultaneously. Um, I mean, so like it, it, it's um, like all four of the Marx brothers playing Maurice Chevalier. And so uh, different actors playing the same character and each of them also playing different characters. Like they're playing Maurice Chevalier and they're also playing their character like in the group of the Marx brothers. And so it's Groucho Marx as Maurice Chevalier, and also Groucho Marx as Groucho Marx simultaneously. It's a, it, 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 it's really an extraordinary scene, uh, and and it's also you know part of part of what, what what's great about the scene is um, like it, it it demonstrates how little you have to do to perform as a character. Um, I mean because the the um, the the Marx brothers are really not putting much effort into creating an impression of Maurice Chevalier. Perhaps all they're doing is really just putting on a straw hat, um, uh, and 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 you don't really need more than that. Um, like the like the, uh, the 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 character of Maurice Chevalier is intelligible, like despite the lack of effort, despite like the very limited resources invested into the performance. Shall we pivot to the second book, Love Three? Yeah, yeah, that that sounds good. Okay. Um, would you mind reading George Herbert's poem? Yeah, yeah, I think that, that that's a good idea. Love bade me welcome. Yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, 
who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve, and know you not, says love, who bore the blame, my dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for, um, for listeners, um, one of the things that's very distinct about your book, Love 3, is that the chapters are, are quite short, only a couple, uh, a few pages each. And I think you make a lot of um, strategic use out of the sort of the, the transition between these short chapters. Um, sometimes oh, yeah. taking the the line of thought in surprising, interesting, um, productively discordant directions. Um, it really allows you to to move nimbly from topic to topic or perspective to um, to perspective. Um, what, what was the process of um, of composing the book like? The book was first drafted um, while I was doing final revisions in the character book. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I um, basically, I mean, you know, I, 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 I had a deadline for the character book, you know, which I, I originally thought I would write in one year and it took me eight years. I mean, it, it, it took me eight years, you know, and then I had to do you know, some sort of final polishing after those eight years. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I think I, I, um, I, had a, I had a deadline for the character book. Um, I, I needed to do it, um, but I, I, um, I was really sick of it at that point. And I had this idea for another book. I knew that I wanted to write a book about this poem by Herbert. You know, and, and you can see, I mean, you know, in, in character as form, um, you know, like I, I'm uh, just you know, trying to bear the weight of the world. You know, I'm, I'm writing about so many different pieces of writing and, you know, and, and, and other works of art. You know, like I really wanted to write a book that was just about a poem. Um, and I was excited to do it, but most of my working life at that time, I really had to dedicate, you know, to, um, finishing the revisions in the character book and, and, and meeting the deadline. Um, so I indulged myself by, uh, I, you know, I, I just assigned myself one hour every day where I would read Herbert's poem and I would just write about what I noticed in it that day. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess the the um, the the first draft of the book was that. Um, like I, I, uh, you know, I, I, at the end of the day when I was done working on the character book, I would take an hour uh, and and just spend thinking about this poem by Herbert, and you know, just just um, reading it and trying to see it and write about what I noticed that day. Um, I'm sure I had in mind. I you know I. I um, I mean, you know, I, 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 I've read other reading diaries, um, which which usually I think are somewhat different you know, because it's, uh, you know, when, when people write reading diaries, like they're usually reading through something, um, you know, like a, um, a, a longer book rather than returning again and again to the, the same passage. But I, I'm sure I had in mind uh, um, T.J. Uh, Clark's wonderful book about two Poussin paintings, you know, which, you know, the, the start of that book has this fellowship at the Getty, uh, and in order to get to his office at the Getty Museum, like he's passing by these two paintings by Poussin, one of which um, is just, you know, like his favorite painting or one of his favorite paintings, you know, like a, a painting that has meant a lot to him for, like, his entire life. 
Um, and he, he, he just starts writing about what he sees in the paintings every day. Um, you know, and, and um, you know, I think I had an experience you know, that, 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 that's similar to you know, what, 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 what Clark writes about and, and what you see when, when, when you read Clark's book, The Sight of Death. Um, like the book starts ending around page 30. Um, like he, like he, he very quickly gets to a point where I've seen everything in this painting now. Um, like, I, you know, I, I, like I, I don't think there's anything else to notice in this painting. So this, this is an interesting exercise. Like it's amazing how much I had to say about these paintings. And then the next day, like he, he, he walks through again. Oh, actually I saw something else. Um, like they, like like, they, like every time like he, he 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 returns to the paintings, it turns out that actually there is something else going on. Like there's there, there's something else to see, and there's something else to write about. Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean that 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 um, I think it's it's uh, um, something uh, that that um, something we like to believe about great works of art, uh, and 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 perhaps it's true. I mean, you know that 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 um, like like they they, they um, uh, they 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 can always provide something new. Like, 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 they, like they are always fresh. Like every like every every time you return to them, like you might discover something new in them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I guess my my original idea this summer when I was doing that um, was that um, like this this would just be notes for a book that I was going to write, um, and at some point. I, uh, I, I, mean, I, I think after about a month, I felt that no, actually, this is the book that I'm writing. Um, and and you know, I mean, first of all, it was just it, it, it was a total pleasure, um, uh, um, and and like it, it made me wonder why I'd ever tried to do a different kind of work with poetry. Um, like I really enjoyed it. I mean, it, it was just the, the the happiest and easiest writing that I've ever done. Um, you know, and 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 you know, then then um, you know after three months, you know, I'd I'd, I'd written quite a lot, um, and uh, I I, um, I I I cut about half of what I'd written, and I revised the re the remainder uh, considerably. Um, I mean, so the um, I think there are some passages in the book that appear pretty much as I wrote them, but most passages in the book. Are uh, I mean not, not not at all as I wrote them. I mean, uh, um, like, there, like there are there, there are sentences you know, taken from you know, uh, from 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 different days, from 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 different encounters uh, with the poem, you know, which are put together as consecutive sentences. And, and, and then I, I also needed to do a lot of new writing at the end of the project in order to make it fit together. Um, I mean, so the the. Um, the finished version of the book you know, still bears traces of its origin in a kind of reading diary. Uh, and and I, 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 I wanted to have some of that, um, you know, just to, to have a sense of my daily encounter with the poem or my sense as I'm writing of like, you know, what I'm writing today and what I wrote yesterday. Um, but I ultimately wanted to make the book a different arrangement. Um, and um, I, I guess I'll, I'll also say, um, uh, what I really went for in in the organization of the book was surprise. Um, like I I um, was really interested in I you know I, I was talking about this before. Um, like different effects that I could get with the uncertainty of you know, whether I'm speaking in my own voice or in the voice of the speaker in the poem. 
uh, and you know, I'm 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 interested in making claims about you know, what what Herbert intends in the poem, uh, and I'm also interested in using the poem as a support you know, for you know, memories of my own experience and sexual fantasies. Can you draw our attention to a few features of the poem you find distinctive and and remarkable? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, um, uh, maybe primarily, um, I see the poem as a scene of verbal humiliation. Um, and for, for, for me, maybe what, what's most important about the poem is that love takes the speaker's voice away. Um, and this, this, this isn't something that, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the only reader of the poem who sees that. Um, but maybe what's distinctive about my way of saying that is like my insistence that that is an interpretation of love. And so like, like there's, there's, there's something quite nasty in the poem. There's, uh, there's, there's a lot that's quite harsh in the actions of love in the poem, something quite harsh in some of the words that love says in the poem. And uh, for, for some readers, that doesn't quite compute. And so you know, for, 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 uh, for some readers, you know, like uh, um, Stanley Fish, I think is a, a good example of this. Like there's maybe just some irony like in calling the poem love. Uh, so like th th this poem is called Love, but you know, we know that love is really a relationship of equality, you know, whereas like this is a poem about domination, like the domination of the speaker by this figure who ironically is called love. Um, whereas, you know, for, for, for other readers, I mean, who, who also sort of start with a premise like, yeah, love, love is basically a, a relationship of equality. Um, uh, like those readers really want to ignore or to explain away the harshness. Um, and so what, what, what I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm really insisting that like this scene of verbal humiliation is an interpretation of love. So yeah, like it, it, it is nasty and it is also nice. I said the, the first thing that I claim about the poem in the book is that it is nice because it's nasty. Um, so I I um I I underline uh the the verbal humiliation in the poem. Like love, love takes the speaker's voice away. Love can talk, the speaker can't talk, or 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 the the, the speaker is reduced to a position of not talking at the end of the poem. Uh, but there, 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 there are also many other asymmetries in the poem that I'm interested in. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, uh, there are very important asymmetry of eating. Um, the, the, it's, a, it's, it's a scene of verbal humiliation. It's also a scene of eating. Um, love and the speaker are eating together, but only the speaker is eating. And in fact, the speaker seems to be eating love. The, the, the speaker is eating love's meat. Um, and like that sounds like it would be, or it sounds like it could be a situation where the speaker, you know, the subject is dominating love, the object you know, reduced to meat. Um, but uh, I, I, um, interestingly, it isn't. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's actually uh, a scene where love, an object reduced to meat, is dominating the speaker. Um, there are also very interesting asymmetries of, of, of sight. Uh, like the, um, the speaker 
uh, sorry, uh, uh, love looks at the speaker. Uh, the, the speaker can't look at love uh, and also uh, an asymmetry of knowledge. Um, love seems to know everything about the speaker, like the, the, uh, the speaker not only can't look at love, you know, but, but you know, can't, uh, not only can't see love, but can't really know love. Um, uh, um, also important in my reading is the possibility of reversal. Um, there's an interesting possibility of reversal. Um, uh, um, an interesting power uh, uh, that can be found in the speaker's position of inferiority. Um, like there is a kind of, um, uh, maybe, maybe I'll use a, a, a term from a different Herbert poem, uh, possibly a kind of a virtue uh, in the speaker's inferiority. Perhaps the speaker's inferiority never gives. Um, like a, a, okay, perhaps the speaker is so stubbornly inferior that the speaker's inferiority may be more powerful than love's superiority. That, that, that isn't ultimately what happens in the poem, but it's a, it's a possibility that the poem explores. Um, and yeah, and I, I guess just one, one, one other thing uh, that, that I, I will underline in my reading. Um, it's interesting that the speaker is spared um, one important humiliation. Um, the, uh, the speaker is not required to declare love. Um, the, the, uh, uh, the speaker does not say to love, I love you. Um, and in fact, although the speaker in the utterance of the poem um, recognizes love as love and calls love, love, um, like that, that recognition uh, 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 does not occur in the poem. Like no one says love in, in Herbert's Love Three. Would you read a passage from Love Three? So I did sit and eat a minor refusal in the last line. Love, sit and taste. Me, sit and eat. Instead of replying, I follow the command. I am almost surprised. I did, the helping verb did is not redundant. Yes, I did what you said, but I didn't lose sight of the difference between us. What you said is what I did, but what you said is not quite the same as what I said. I used a different word. We've already begun to talk about this, but I, I loved your discussion of eating and curt courtesy as elaborate plays of submission and, and domination. Uh, on the one hand, both involve asserting control over objects, and on the other hand, they involve giving control over to other subjects. Right? Um, wh what other what, what stylistic choices in this um, this chapter on page twenty one uh, jump out to you? Um, I mean, I think I um, I think this is a good example of. Um, the technique of paraphrase that we were discussing before. Um, I mean, so I, I, I'm, um, first of all, uh, staying pretty close to Herbert's language. Uh, and then I'm also incorporating some of Herbert's language into my language. And then I'm, I'm taking the further step of like sometimes confusing speaker or, or some, sometimes confusing my language with the language of the speaker and the poem. And so like it's it's not always clear like when I'm speaking as myself 
and like when I'm speaking as the speaker in the poem. Especially um, when you read it out loud. Oh, yes. It's especially effective. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I guess I, I, um, I also feel good about this as, you know, I, 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 I said before that, um, when was that back in 2008 or something like that? You know, I, I, um, uh, I, I set myself the goal of like writing in a, a, a clear and energetic style or like a, like a, a kind of style that would be intelligible to someone who was motivated to read it. Um, and I, I feel that I didn't really get there in, in writing characterized form, but, um, I, I, I think that, um, yeah, like I, 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 I feel that I accomplished my goal, uh, in, in love three. Um, that was, yeah, I, I I was talking before about just my um, the unusual happiness that I experienced uh, 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 writing this book, which I, I, I it, um, writing usually isn't like that for me. Um, I mean, I there's 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 a line that I I can't remember. I, I think maybe I quote this uh, um, in characterized form. Very interesting mid twentieth century English writer Denton Welch says um, there there's always something wrong with writing. Um, and yeah, you know, he, he's uh, a, Welsh. You know, was also um, uh, you know, a, a, um, a, a painter and an illustrator, uh, you know, a, a, as well as a writer. And, and like that—that's the contrast that he's making. You can finish a painting, you can finish an engraving. Uh, like you, know, like you, you, you can get to a point where like there isn't any more work to be done on the painting. But that never happens with writing. Um, like like you you uh, like like there's there's always something wrong with it like there's always some way in which you could adjust it and improve it and yeah like that like that that's generally been my experience like there's there's always something wrong with writing and like a a, a big part of that is that like when you get an idea for a piece of writing like you know and then like you you try to write something based on that idea, it turns out to be something else. Um, and at some point you just have to make your peace with that. Like there's still something wrong with it, but like, that's it. Like that is the, like, the, like the, the, this piece of writing has achieved its destiny. And it's like, I'm either gonna send it into the world or I'm just gonna put it in a drawer. Uh, but in any case, I can't work on it anymore. Um, but yeah, somehow my, uh, um, uh, this book, this, this book about Herbert's poem, I basically did what I intended in this book. Like I, I had an idea for this book and the book that I wrote actually is that. Um, so yeah, I, 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 um, uh, I, I, when, when, when I look at the passage that I just read to you, yeah, like I, 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 I see something like the style that I wanted to achieve. I feel um, one of the things I admire about your style is how conversational it feels um and and open um so not only do you quote scholars like elias canetti and rosalie cole um with uh, with real um sympathy and thoughtfulness but it also feels like the reader can think with you in a in a kind of nice way um can you talk to to us a little bit about the influence of writers like Kennedy and, and Cole on these two books? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 sure. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, um, 
And that was that was uh, I think one of one of the challenges in writing this book. You know, I started, you know, I, I, as I said, I, you know, I I, um, I I started writing about Herbert's poem, you know, just by giving myself an hour every day to take notes on the poem. And after about a month of doing that, like I felt that actually I was writing the book that I was trying to write. And that, you know, so I, 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 I therefore needed to start thinking about what other people said about the poem, you know, which I, you know, I'd, I'd, um, uh, I, I, I had studied the poem in school. I'd also taught the poem in school. You know, so I, I had a pretty good idea of the critical tradition, but I hadn't actually spent time um, re reading other critics of Herbert you know, with a view to writing seriously about this poem. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure at first, you know, I, so I, I, I spent a month, um, you know, just doing something like what I'd been doing the first month, you know, just um, reading other critics on the poem, you know, and then um, uh, uh, taking notes about what I noticed uh, in the writings of the other readers. Um, but I wasn't sure until pretty near the end of the project whether I would actually include any of that material in the book. Um, like I, I uh, I'm like it, it. It seemed possible that, and, you know, for for the um, for the book to have, you know, I think especially the the style that I wanted. Um, like it seemed possible that engagement with other readers, like engagement with the critical tradition, um, you know, like might, um, I don't know. I mean, you know, just just uh, um, uh, might be a drag on the style. Um, and I think maybe my first experiments with engaging with other critics did sound like that. But but yeah. But uh, uh, um, ultimately, uh, you know, I think I'm I'm, I'm uh, well. You know, I, I mean, as, as you see from the finished book, I, I ultimately reconciled myself with the idea that um, yeah, that I knew that I, I I could have some kind of kind of conversation you know, with with other readers of of, um, of the poem in the book. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you 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 asked specifically about. Um, um, Elias Canetti uh, and, and Rosalie Coley. Uh, um, uh, Canetti is, I mean, not not a reader of, of Herbert, um, but yeah, a, a, a writer I'm, I'm very interested in. I'm some someone I've been thinking about for a long time. Um, and yeah, uh, um, he is uh, actually. I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll use a phrase I heard at a um, I've got a, a conference in religious studies about 10 years ago, and I, I kept hearing people use this phrase Jewish middlebrow philosophy. Um, and I like I I I didn't I didn't know what they meant. And I I, I finally got someone to explain it to me. Uh, um, and it seemed that uh, Jew, Jewish middlebrow philosophy meant, you know, not not the um the prestige, you know, continental philosophers uh you know, like uh Levinas. Or, or you know, Walter Benjamin, or you know, uh, people like that, but instead um, Hannah Arendt uh, and, and and Primo Levi and Elias Canetti. In other words, that's you know, my my favorite writers, you know, like the 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 people you know I, I um, I've spent years reading and 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 you know who who were very significantly formed my thinking. So yeah, uh, um, Elias Canetti is a he's a Jewish middlebrow philosopher. Um, and he has this very strange, ambitious book called Crowds and Power, which is a total account of human civilization. Um, and it's an account based on eating. Um, Kennedy sees relations between people you know, as, as, as scenes where most of the time people are eating other people. 
Uh, like, like, like that, that, that for Kennedy is like just a very basic impulse. Like people are trying to eat other people and people are trying not to be eaten by other people. Um, and like that, you know, like that, that, that there for Kennedy, you know, with, you know, with, with many variations, like that, that is all of, of human history. No, and, and then with you know for for Kennedy like the the um, like various exceptional circumstances the most important of which is behavior in a crowd so uh, uh, um, um, in a crowd like that's that's the one place where like the the, the wish not to be consumed uh, completely relaxes and you know, like a, a, a person in a crowd wants to be consumed by the crowd um, um, but yeah I I um, you know, I think the the um, the idea from Canetti that I'm most interested in, uh, and 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 uh, um, that I, I I use to think about Herbert's poem, um, is the idea of reversal. Um, and one of one of Canetti's great insights about power is that reversal is an aspect of power. And and, and again, it's it, it's something that he takes from eating. Um, like it 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 might seem like you know when when. Uh, Someone eats a food object, you know, like, like that—that's an expression of the power that someone has over their food. Um, but Canetti uh, is very interested in possibilities of, of reversal, which he sees in every act of eating, um, and and he he um, he takes, you know, as a, a, a kind of motto of eating, um, like this this line from a Sanskrit text, I think, called the Shapata Ramana. Um, Whatever you eat in this world, by that you will be eaten in the next world. Um, like, like, like that, that, that's uh, um, uh, um, the reversal that is always implied by eating. And so, you know, when when you seize and incorporate something, when you try to incorporate something into your body, like you are actually exposing yourself and like you are a vulnerable interior part to a foreign object, and actually you don't know whether you can incorporate it. Like it's actually possible that it will disagree with you. Um, like it's it's possible that it will end up like breaking you down and you know, not, not you incorporating your food, but your food incorporating you. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, um, I think, um, uh, um, uh, I mean, like that—that—that—that's a—it's that, that, um, a way of thinking about power that I think is useful, and it's a way of eating that I think is useful. And, and, and yeah, I mean, like that—that—that's that, something in the background of a lot of what I say um, about the scene of eating in Herbert's poem, and 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 sometimes I, I bring it into the foreground. Um, let's see, and you—you you, you also asked about um, Rosalie Coley. Um, I mean, who's who's—I—I—I—I uh, um, I, 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 I guess Coley makes appearances. Uh, in in both books, and yeah, I mean, uh, just a, um, I think one of the great scholars in Renaissance studies, um, and uh, you know, I mean, uh, um, someone whose work I always learn from. Um, I guess I, I I think of her um, something like uh, like like Northrop Fry maybe, um, or like Harry Berger. Um, I mean, who who I think. Had some relationship to her. Like, you know, I, I believe they 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 had at least some correspondence. Um, and, you know, and, and, and you can you can certainly see um, Berger responding to Coley. You know, in in uh, Second World and Green World, you know, this this uh, 
strange book of, of uh, and wonderful book of Berger's on on pastoral. I mean, you, you can see him responding to um, to uh, Coley's incredible book on Marvell, My Echoing Song, and 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 also responding to her work on uh, on on Shakespeare. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I guess what do I intend by by, by putting together Fry and and, and Coley and and Berger and, and people like that? Um, like it's a um, it like these 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 are scholars who represent like some kind of pact um like a, I am you know, um in the generation before them say like like there's there's a um a perceived conflict between scholarship and criticism um you know, which might be represented by the the, the Tuve and Empson debate um uh, and and in Fry and in Coley and in Berger in different ways, I and mean, like you see that like like the, the, these are people who are scholars and like they are also critics. I'm um, like like they're, they're they're trying to do both at once. And I think also they represent um, Coley. I think certain, certainly represents um, uh, like a, a I'm a kind of um, uh, I mean so I mean like they're 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 writing like during the time when like literary studies is responding to and sort of slowly being taken over by um you know, by, by by what gets called theory um you know, by 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 you know, various strains of continental philosophy um and like they're not they're not doing that i mean like they're i mean like they are they're they're not importing continental philosophy berger maybe does that a little bit um but Instead, I would say that you know, in, in addition to representing a kind of pact between criticism and scholarship, like they represent maybe, uh, I don't know, um, I was going to say a vernacular version of theory. That's, that's not quite right, but, but like a, a version of theory that comes from this continent. Um, like, like, in other words, like they, they, they are responding to like this theoretical impulse, maybe not directly, um, you know, but you know, by, you know, I mean, so you know, you know, it's not. It's it's uh, um, like like you don't you don't see Roland Barthes. I don't think really show up in 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 Coley's writing. Um, but 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 you do see her responding in that like like she's she's interested in like these fundamental questions. Um, you know, which which um, you know, for some of her contemporaries, uh, continental philosophy allows them to address. Um, and so, like, you know, like, like, what, what is poetry? How do we understand language? You know, like, uh, uh, um, uh, Coley uh, has her own way of seeing to the heart of things. You know, you know, without routing it through, you know, someone like Derrida. Right. Yeah, the, those are both books I admire a lot, and I've been influenced a, a lot by Harry Berger's um, Second World Green World and. Um, Rosalie Coley, I always, I always misremember that Coley's book, My Echoing Song. And, and for a while, I feel they were very um, marginalized or maybe overlooked, um, unless you're working on, on Marvell, um, perhaps. And now I'm kind of seeing a renaissance for Coley. I, I think RSA had a panel a few years ago, um, re-evaluating re Coley's work. So it's it's um, I'm I'm glad that I, I encourage all listeners to seek out both of those books and like yeah, pick pick that um, the lines of inquiry that they established up. Um, 
Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally. I mean, I, I'm not. I, I haven't noticed that there has been a revival of Coley, but but I, I I think that would be that's a that's a wonderful idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the book Love Three, you you say that you were attracted to Herbert's poem because you thought something was incomplete about how we talk about power, the academic discourse about power, or even the disavowal of power in academia is failing to account for something powerful in power. Um, what does Herbert's poem unlock about power for you? Yeah, I mean, I um, I guess uh, part of the, the germ for this book um, was a, a, a couple of experiences, a couple of different experiences that I had in, um, in the years 2014, I guess the end of 2014, in the beginning of, of 2015. Um, Two public events that I was involved with were, I, I guess the term is deplatformed. Um, uh, not not because of me. Um, uh, um, in in one case, uh, like, like like there was there was uh, some kind of reaction against um, the two organizers of the public event. That that, that was a, um, a a poetry reading that I was going to participate in. Uh, in 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 New York City, uh, um, uh, and 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 um, in the second case, um, uh, um, people objected to one of the other participants uh, in the. Uh, I guess that, that that was not a, a poetry reading, but it was a poetry conference. It was a like a, it was going to be a whole week of, of readings, and um, so and, and both both of these events were canceled uh, um, um, due to outcry um, or I mean, it was. Uh, um, uh, um, I guess both pretty clear cases of what is called a, a heckler's veto. That is, the um, the organizers ended up canceling the event uh, because they were concerned um, that uh, um, audiences or people not necessarily in the audience, just people in the public, would have a bad response to the fact of of the events. Um, and yeah, I, I guess the, the the first time I encountered this in in, in twenty fourteen, I didn't really understand it. I, I I didn't know what to make of it. Like I'm I'm scheduled to give this reading in New York City. Uh, and like people keep sending me these alarming emails telling me to cancel and that I shouldn't collaborate with the people who are organizing this event. Or like I, I'm I'm I've got my bags packed. I've got my plane my, my plane ticket you know, to give this reading in New York City. And like it seems that like there's a boycott of like the whole reading series. Um no, and, and I remember in that case, like I ended up having a conversation with the person who was organizing the boycott, but who who, who um, you know, disclaimed any kind of uh, organizational power. You know, it, it's an informal boycott. Like we're, we're having an informal boycott of this reading series. Um, uh, um, and the, the the second time it happened, I like I I, I had a slightly better sense of, or like I I, I sort of. You know, just just because I'd seen it before, like you know, I, I started to feel that I, I I understood something about what was going on, and I like I, I sort of understood what to make of it. Um, and yeah, it, it um, that 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 phrase that I just quoted, informal boycott, I think is a a good example of it. In a boycott, you know, like there's a demand, um, you know, which means that you know, like if you know, I don't know, you're a proprietor and like someone is boycotting you, like there's something you can do to end the boycott. Um, with an informal boycott, there isn't really a demand. 
Um, like there's just a kind of general sense that like people shouldn't participate in this. And also like there is a kind of disingenuousness or perhaps just a kind of misunderstanding about power. Um, in other words, you know, so I, I've, um, like if you have the power to cancel an event, you have the power to deplatform somebody like the organizer of an event you don't like, or I don't know, a, a poet that you don't like, um, that's not a position of powerlessness. Um, like that, that, that's actually, I mean, that's, that's a, um, that's a position of power. And it's, it, it's also, I would say, I mean, you know, it's a, um, uh, using the power that you have in a bad way. Uh, I mean, like, like, in a, uh, I mean, like pe people shouldn't use their power in that way. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, so I, I, um, uh, I felt, I, 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 I felt that, yeah, people, um, people were like really confused about power or I'm like, oh, oh, these, these, these experiences made me notice that there was just some basic confusion about power. And yeah, I mean, you know, if you look in the academy, the, the, the second one of these experiences took place in the world of the university. Um, yeah, what does is, what is power look like uh, um, in, in, in the academy? Um, maybe the easiest way to think about it would be through um, through Nietzsche, um, through the um, the I think the the third essay in the genealogy of morals, uh, uh, the the essay about the 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 um, the ascetic priests in the genealogy of morals, which I, I think is the the third essay. Um, so, certain kind of person, you know, who has the strength, you know, the 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 energy to be you know someone like a, a hero or a king. I mean, so someone who you know, could just impose their will. Know, on on other people like 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 they're 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 strong enough to do that you know like they they, they could they can impose their will on other people they could you know just uh, indulge and realize all of their desires but they don't do that like interestingly like they, they don't do that instead like they become these ascetic priests um and the way that the ascetic priests work is that like they disclaim power or like from a position of weakness like they achieve power over the powerful um, you know, and 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 mostly like they're interested, you know, not in you know like realizing some desire of their own, but you know just making it impossible for other for for for, for others to realize their desires, or just ma making other people feel really bad, you know, for like trying to realize their desires. Um, and yeah, I mean the um, I think the the way that you see this working, you know, especially in literary studies and in the humanities. Like the, um, the 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 discourse on power that's derived from Foucault like ends up looking really strange, um, and you know in, in in Foucault or at least in theory in Foucault it doesn't look like this. You know, Foucault, if you, you know, if you ask Foucault about power in the abstract, you know, Foucault will always insist that you know power like isn't in just one place and it doesn't move in one direction. Like power is dispersed, like it, like it, it, it is all over the place, and it's like you know being exercised by lots of different actors. Um, but but some, somehow that that um, that isn't Foucault's influence. That might not really be what power looks like in Foucault's genealogies either. Um, like in in arguments influenced by Foucault, I think what you see over and over again are you know just the. Um, uh, um, like the extension of state power further and further, I mean, so that it you know, just fills every crack in society. Um, there was a line in the um, Austrian 
writer Carl uh, Krauss, it's in his book of aphorisms. Uh, they have the street, uh, they have the church, they have the stock exchange, and now they have the unconscious. Like that, and this is not what Krauss intended, but it's some, something like the um, uh, the story that gets told about power in accounts influenced by Foucault. I um, mean, like the 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 power of the state reaches further and further until, like, finally, like you are an agent of state power, like even at an unconscious level, like you you are you you are policing your 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 dream life on behalf of the state. Um, and yeah, so often when you read accounts of power in literary studies, like you get the strange sense that um, people are just writing against power. Um, or like 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 there is there there is some uh, some some impulse to be against power itself. Although you know like how, how you would do that without assuming some power of your own is um, like kind of kind of hard to imagine. And yes, and and especially uh, um, in in love relationships, um, like there is an idea um, that um, yeah, I mean that uh, um, love relationship um, like is a relationship of equality. Um, and yes, and and so, so yeah, th 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 this is this is this is something that I see in Herbert um, that um, I I guess I offer as a a, a corrective. Um, Herbert is interested in a love relationship that is not based on equality. I mean, so like the the um, I mean, you know, and, and again, you know, I, I, um, I I I think there are interesting possibilities for reversal. You know, which which Herbert explores in Love Three, but there's agreement at the beginning of the poem um, you know, that that love is superior and the speaker is inferior, uh, and and the story that the poem tells you know, is is ultimately about a, a a confirmation of that. And again, I insist that like that is Herbert's interpretation of love. I'd like to talk to guests about uh, writing practices. Uh, we've already touched on this already. Um, how do you approach the writing of academic prose? Um, how do you find a form that will open up the subject that you are analyzing? And, and how are you approaching um, your, your current writing projects after producing these two very different books? Um, both came out in 2019. Um, and, and you've kind of described them as, uh, Love 3 as kind of a, a, a reaction to or a, a sort of counter movement to character as form. So um, how has your writing practice developed in the, the intervening years? Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 uh, um, I, you know, I guess mostly, I mean, since, since writing these books, I've been, I've been doing other kinds of writing. I mean, I've, I've been writing poetry and you know, I've, I've been writing some fiction um, because I've, I've, I've been uh, um, you know, writing some memoir um, but yeah, I mean, my, you know, I guess uh, um, the, the the criticism that I've written since writing these books. I mean, first of all, you know, I, I uh, um, because I, I, I said this before, the experience that I had, uh, you know, just living with Herbert's poem in writing Love Three was so wonderful that I, you know, I, I really don't ever want to work differently. And, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I uh, um, when when I write criticism now, you know, I, I, I really just want to. Uh, return to like the same passage over and over again, um, uh, and, and yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't intend to write another book that looks like Love Three, um, but 
uh, yeah, I, 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 I also don't want to generate criticism um, any other way uh, than than what I did writing Web three. I mean, you know, you know just just uh, in continued engagement, you know, with a, a, a return and return again you know, to like the text of a poem or or whatever kind of text that I'm studying. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I've I've uh, uh, you know, I guess since 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 writing these two books, you know, I, I've, um, I've I've spent some time working on Milton Sampson Agonistes, uh, and I, I've got something cooking uh, on on Marlowe's Hero and Leander. Uh, I mean that um, yeah, I don't know that I, 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 I I'm sorry to say has, has not been as happy an experience as as writing about Love Three. But but anyway, you know my my um, my my basic approach has been similar uh, to, to to the one that I used writing about Herbert's poem. Uh, that is, you know, I, I'm, I'm uh, you know, just giving myself some time with the poem every day, you know, just to write about what I notice in the poem. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It, it uh, um, uh, I don't know. Some, some, some things are just harder to write about than others. Or I don't know. Maybe you know, some poets, um, you know, uh, uh, one has more of an affinity for it than other poets. I mean, I mean so I, 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 I. Uh, um, I love Hero and Leander. I mean, Hero and Leander is is one of my favorite poems. I would really like to write something good about Hero and Leander, uh, but yeah, I, I I haven't been able to do it to my satisfaction. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Aaron. Yeah, thank thank, thank you very much for talking with me. I, I really enjoyed it. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.